If you have a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 2. The text is printed in the bulletin also. Acts 2, we'll look at verses 1 through 13 this morning. Um, so the, this is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we haven't really called attention to it yet, but it was right there on the front page of the bulletin. Um, it's, it's Pentecost Sunday, and we're looking at the classic Pentecost text from Acts chapter 2. And this, the day of Pentecost that was recorded here for us was an event of, um, of historical magnitude on par with the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ by the Spirit, or his crucifixion in our place under the wrath of God, uh, the sacrifice that we need to, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins, or his resurrection, or his ascension, which we looked at last week. Uh, so actually, the account of the ascension that happens in uh, Acts chapter 1 and the account of Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2, um, the, the book of Acts starts out with two huge, hugely important, massively important events, sort of a big deal. <clears throat> so when, when the Spirit descended on the disciples, which is what we're going to read about in just a minute, uh, the world was changed. You may not think of it that way, but the world was changed when the Spirit descended on, on Christ's disciples. It was a once-in-a-history kind of event. And it's, it's what John the Baptist was talking about when he said that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's talking about this day, Pentecost. That has potential to sound pretty exciting, I think. The Holy Spirit and fire. Um, but I'm guessing a lot of you are actually underwhelmed, maybe too distracted. I don't know, maybe, maybe you know a little bit about Pentecost, or you're maybe too confused or just generally unimpressed, as you've read this passage before, uh, to imagine that it's important or that it's relevant or that it's world-changing. I'll admit, it really is only important, really is only relevant, if you want God. If you don't want God, I'm afraid you'll probably be bored with everything. But if you do want God, if God is the one that you're after, then, then nothing is more important. Nothing is more relevant than this, because here he is. Here's God coming into the world to be with his people. The Holy Spirit come down on the church at Pentecost is God given to us. God given to us. So... This is more than important, it's more than relevant, it actually redefines what is important and what is relevant in our lives and in this world. So, we'll talk about what this means. Let me uh, pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand your word, to see Christ in it, to be transformed by it into the likeness of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, 
the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Pentecost was uh, something that happened a long time before this. Actually, Pentecost was an annual festival for ancient Israel. It literally, the word Pentecost means 50 or 50th. It's the 50th day after Passover. 50th day after Passover. And it was called the Feast of Weeks because it was a week of weeks later. Seven weeks after after Passover came Pentecost. So it was a commemoration and it was a celebration of the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai 50 days after the original Passover. Long time before when the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, they were delivered through the Passover and then they were out into the wilderness and they came to Mount Sinai. So it was 50 days later that Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law from God, and this was a commemoration of that. So now, now in our passage, what we read about here, the record of this, now the true Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, had been sacrificed, and now 50 days later, here were the disciples, not on Mount Sinai, but on Mount Zion. And we're meant to think of the parallels between these two events, and between these two mountains, These two mountains are hugely important throughout the scriptures. At Mount Sinai, originally, God's people who were newly formed out of Egypt, and the Bible says that they were baptized into Moses. They had Moses as their leader and as their mediator, their go-between, between them and God. They were baptized into Moses as they went through the waters of the Red Sea, this newly formed people delivered out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness before entering the promised land, and they waited at the base of the mountain, of Mount Sinai, that they could not approach. They were forbidden to approach. They were terrified to approach. While their mediator, Moses, went up the mountain, he ascended the mountain to meet with God on their behalf. It said in Exodus 24 that the appearance of the glory of Yahweh, of the Lord, the appearance of his glory was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people Israel. And Hebrews uh, says about this event that a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. It's a terrifying event, but now, now in our passage, on Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, God's people, the church, 
this newly formed people, baptized in the triune name of the living God, they waited while their mediator, Jesus, ascended not just a mountain, ascended into heaven itself. They waited while their mediator went to meet with God on their behalf. That was the ascension, and we talked about that last week. But their mediator didn't just go up to heaven to where the fire burns. He sent the fire down to them. Where Israel had been terrified by the fire on the mountain, the disciples had been anticipating this according to Jesus' promise. He said, you go to Jerusalem and you wait for this, and you're going to be clothed with power from on high. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire that John foretold. So as an event, it still absolutely had the potential to instill terror, the same way that it did at Mount Sinai long before with the people of Israel in the wilderness. A sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind filling the house, a deafening wind, a storm, a tempest inside the house, and something like flames of fire resting on each one of them. That could be a scary picture. But the disciples were not destroyed. They were reborn. And this is remarkable when you consider the role of fire. It's a big deal in our passage, big deal throughout the scriptures, the role of fire in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 says that Yahweh, your, your God, is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It's, a, it's the burning holiness of his love. Fire is a symbol for his holiness, which can have the effect of purifying. But most often, when we see it in the Old Testament, consuming. When in our unholiness, we come face to face and we encounter him in his absolute holiness. So to maintain an appreciation for this, because apparently it's easy for Israel to forget things, the gravity of the situation they're in, or the magnitude of the glory of the God that they have as their God, Israel was given the altar of sacrifice. They were given this altar at the entryway kind of to the the tabernacle or the temple where the meeting place was between God and humanity. They were given this altar, and it says in Leviticus 6, fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. There's always to be this fire, and when you come to God, you bring your sacrifice and instead of you being burned up by God's holiness, you place the sacrifice on the altar and you can, you can pass, right? Fire should be kept on the altar burning continually. In Leviticus 9, Moses and Aaron, they went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering that was on the altar. And when, when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces, So when God's fire comes out, his burning, holy love, when when God's fire comes out, people are startled, to say the least. They shouted and fell on their faces. It says in Psalm 97, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. In our natural state, that means us. As Sinners, we are his adversaries. We are his enemies. And his holy fire is destructive. 
burns up his adversaries. Think of Sodom where the the fire of judgment rained from heaven and destroyed that city and all the others around it in the valley. Think of the garden. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. The garden, after humanity's rebellion, it says in Genesis 3, God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, so this angel who is a guard, terrifying creature, and a flaming sword, a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, that stood between humanity returning to the sanctuary, garden, mountain, temple where God is. If we want to have anything to do with God, we have to get past that fiery sword and not be consumed. If we want to have anything to do with God, we have to get past the fire that burns up his adversaries all around. We have to get past the fire that consumes the sacrifices on the altar, the consuming fire that God himself is. God is this consuming fire. We have to be able to stand in that and not be destroyed. So in other words, sinners can't get close to God for fear of the fire of his holiness. Maybe in some ways this is symbolic language. It's symbolic, helping us to understand the reality of things. You can't get close to this God unless you have a holiness to match his own holiness. If we want to have anything to do with God, we need to be able to be near him, to stand in his presence and not be consumed. So we need a holiness to match his own holiness. The possibility of this was hinted at in the burning bush that Moses saw in Exodus 3, the holy place where it says that the angel of the Lord was, who was actually God. The angel, the messenger of the Lord, who was actually God, was in this Bush, he appeared in a flame of fire in the midst of this bush, but the bush was not consumed by the fire. Or it was hinted at that this was a possibility for us to stand in the fire and not be consumed. <clears throat> when Daniel's three friends went into the fiery furnace, yet were not consumed because a fourth was with them, one whose appearance was like a son of the gods, it says. How was it possible then that fire rained down from heaven on the disciples in the upper room at Pentecost, yet instead of being destroyed, they were reborn? How is that possible? They had been gifted a holiness to match God's own holiness, to match it. They were in Christ, who's the true son of God. He's called the Holy One of God who allowed himself to be consumed by the holiness of God, as if he were unholy. He suffered himself to be struck down by the fiery sword of judgment, as it were. As if he were one of God's adversaries. As if he were one of God's enemies. The holy for the unholy. So now, because of Jesus Christ, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done or you could do, Because of Jesus Christ, our God is a consuming fire, but we're not consumed. We freely enjoy access to God himself. We have complete access to God himself 
And this, Peter says in his sermon, which follows this this passage that we've read, um, the rest of Acts chapter 2, this is the promise of the Father. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God. We have access to God now without being consumed. But rather than smuggling us back into the garden, because that's kind of the picture that you're given in a... Throughout the Old Testament is that we're expelled from the holy place, right? Because of our rebellion, because of our sin. The garden, the temple, we're forbidden to enter into that holy place anymore, that sanctuary, that place where God's presence is. Rather than smuggling us back into the garden or into the temple, past the fire, the Holy One came out past the fire. The Holy One came out into the wilderness of the world to be with us, to make his dwelling place with us, to make his temple wherever we are. The church itself is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And at the Feast of Pentecost, where God's people were to bring their offerings to him, instead God offered himself to them, every single one and all of them together. God himself, not a third-rate deity, when the Holy Spirit falls upon his people, as he did at Pentecost, when, when he comes into the world to be with his people wherever he is, that's God. Not a third-rate minor deity, not some component or characteristic of God, not some activity of God. He is God. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity. He's God himself. He's the whole God. He's God in a different way of being, than the Father or the Son. God in a different way of being a person, but God nonetheless. So at Pentecost, and ever since, the world was changed at that point. So at Pentecost, and ever since, God has come to be with his people in the church. The fall cut us off from his presence, but now he is upon us always. He's upon us always because Jesus, the God-man, sent him to you. Jesus, the God-man, sent God to you. Now, you might not feel like you're on fire for the Lord. That's a phrase you hear a lot in church. We wish we were on fire for the Lord. We pray to be on fire for the Lord. You may not feel like you're on fire for the Lord. But if you're a Christian, the fire of the Lord is on you. The Spirit, who is the holiness of God, he's the holy love of God. The Spirit who personifies this, who embodies it in a sense. He is God, and he's the holiness of God, and he rests upon you, and you're safe. And you have access to God because of it. And the effect of this, the effect of the Spirit coming upon the disciples here, the effect of the Spirit when he comes upon us, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, every time you see that phrase in in Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, in Luke's gospel and in the book of Acts, every time the Spirit comes and every time the Spirit fills someone, the effect of it is always the bold proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single time it's prophecy, it's preaching. It's evangelism. It's talking about Jesus. The day of Pentecost could be called the birthday of the church. 
could be called the Day of the Holy Spirit. It could be called International Evangelism Day. Not just National Evangelism Day for Israel, but International Evangelism Day. The immediate effect of the Spirit falling upon the disciples here was that every nation under heaven, that's what the text says, they were all represented, but really, every nation under heaven heard in their own tongues the mighty works of God. That is to say, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who Jesus is, what he came to do, what he did in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. Jews and proselytes who were Gentile converts, non-Jew converts to Judaism, from the four corners of the earth, that's, that's what this list represents. If you plot it on a map, they're coming from north, south, east, and west, all over the place. This is the, the known world at the time. Right? Jews and Gentile converts had the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed to them on this day as an immediate effect of the falling of the Holy Spirit on them. So the word of God that they heard, the mighty works of God, the gospel that they heard, it's not just for a single people group, not just for the, the nation of Israel, ethnic Jews. It's not just for a single people group that are huddled in terror at the base of a mountain wishing that this word would stop. Now the word of God is for all the nations and God's people, because of this event, because of Pentecost, God's people had power from on high to go out into all the world proclaiming a message of forgiveness. The kind of message people want to hear. The kind of message people need desperately to hear. Proclaiming a message of forgiveness and hope and good cheer in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Spirit's work look like here? He is the empowering presence of God himself with us. That's the way to simplify it. He's the presence of God, the Holy loving God with us in a way that empowers us. God, he's God given to us in order that we might give him to other people. <clears throat> so now, because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done, because of the fact that he has sent his spirit upon his church, and his spirit rests upon his church still, now you are the burning bush the holy place where God speaks, where God is, and you're not consumed, yet the message of God goes out. Pentecost was also called uh, the Feast of the Harvest, and the Jews had traditionally read the book of Ruth, um, where the basic story is that this Gentile outsider was brought into the fold of the people of Israel, found salvation, um, brought into the people of God, the Gentile outsider was brought in at the harvest. At the harvest. Chapter 2 of Ruth is all about the harvest. The harvesting and the gleaning that takes place. So this, this Pentecost feast, it was traditional for them to read the book of Ruth because this Gentile, this outsider, found salvation at harvest time. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Just look. Just open your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. And now the church lives in the age of the Spirit. 
We live in a Pentecost world, a world characterized not just by the fact that God has come to us to meet with us in the church, but it's a world characterized by the nations finding salvation. Here in Acts 2, after Peter's sermon, it says that, um, that those who received his word were baptized and there were added about there, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a lot of people. Started off with 120 people in a room, and they stepped outside and spoke the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and about 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church. And it says uh, later in Acts chapter 2, that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This wasn't just a one-time event. Day by day. So we live in one of the parts of the world where the church is growing slowly. It's actually still growing. It may not feel that way. It actually is still growing slowly. Right? But the Lord is adding masses of people day by day to our numbers in places like Asia or Africa, so that worldwide, here's a statistic that probably would surprise you, 80,000 people every day are becoming Christians. We live in a Pentecost world. This is a Pentecost world now. God has come out to be where we are. And he's empowered us with his own presence. He's given us God himself, the third person of the Trinity, so that we could share God with others to bear witness to Jesus Christ everywhere. And we <clears throat> normally we'd have to learn languages, right? Unlike what happens here in this text that the Spirit uh, miraculously enables them to speak the languages uh, so that it would be understood by the people who are around. In order for us to share the gospel with people from other nations, we normally have to learn the language. But we'll do that. We'll do that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is on us, making us care about the things that God cares about making us impassioned with Jesus, obsessed about Jesus, so we share our obsession with other people. The one who was sent from God, Jesus Christ, he says, he's always saying that I'm the one who is sent from God, the Son of the Father, he's sent another. He sent the Holy Spirit to send us, to send us out. God is ascending God. And we're a sent people. And we have the sent God within us and upon us to make us a sent out type of people. It says in Psalm 50, our God comes. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. And we're in the middle of that firestorm. And we're not consumed. We're not destroyed because of his grace, because of Jesus Christ. And this fire spreads. It's been spreading for 2,000 years because God is on the move, and he's unstoppable. He's unstoppable, and this fire is on you because, because the man Jesus Christ ascended the mountain, so to say. He ascended heaven itself to God because he baptized you with his spirit. So let the fire spread. Amen. Let's pray together.
Father, your Holy Spirit is difficult for us to uh, comprehend. We, we actually can't comprehend you or, or him. Uh, we can barely apprehend uh, God. But, but you've made yourself known to us, and you've given yourself to us fully in the person of your Spirit. And he rests upon us as a church. And that is an empowering presence that we have. The holy love of God burns in our midst And we pray that the holy love of God would burn in our hearts, the holy love of God that is compelled to advance and to spread like a wildfire. We pray that your great love, that your great holiness, that your great spirit would animate us as a people and make us um, so attentive to your son, Jesus Christ, in every way, so concerned with his kingdom in every way, in every way that Jesus, who he is and what he's done and what he's doing, affects every area of our lives, every relationship that we have. We pray that your spirit would fix us on Christ and compel us to speak of Christ to others. Because when we look here at this, the book of Acts, the mighty works of God that are continued uh, to be done through through the spirit-filled disciples in the church, we look at that and we say we want to be part of it. We want uh, the great importance and the great meaning and the great spiritual and eternal relevance of, of Pentecost to light up our lives in a way, to, to compel us to go forward into the world with you because you are with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Your presence goes with us. You are where your people are because that's the kind of God that you are. And we pray that as we go forward, we would be the kind of people who testify, who bear witness to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.